the old world is ending, and we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the structural problems in our world and the real solutions that we have today to transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse into a collaborative and sustainable futuristic society that serves all life. You may think it's an impossible dream, but the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Zachary Marlowe, Matt Holton, and Amanda Smith. And together, when we can move past this economic absurdity to come together and actualize our collective potential to create something completely new, we are Moneyless Society. It takes great courage to not just accept things as they are and speak our truths about things that may be perceived as unconventional. However scary this prospect may seem, it can not only lead to our own individual liberation, but also to the liberation of humanity. In achieving our own individual freedom and liberation, by speaking our own authentic truths, and then by engaging in something greater than ourselves, we can and will bring about the liberation and the freedom of all humanity. For us to shift to a beautiful new paradigm that works for all of humanity, it's going to require each of us first to shift our own understandings of what's needed and what's possible. But then, we will also need to find our own individual courage and speak our truth in plain sight and earshot of the conventional voices that may label us as crazy. This is a passage from the New Copernican Revolution by one of today's guests, Troy Wiley. He's joining us with Robert Schramm, his partner and co-host of the Future Now podcast, and too many other change-making ventures to, to really count. They're working like us to help us transition from this dark age of plagues and feudal corporate rule and the god of the market to a new renaissance, the great paradigm shift of bringing humanity from the false economic cosmology that places the dollar at the center of our meaningful universe. So Troy, what is the new Copernican revolution? If you read it, then maybe you're, you're the one guy that, that bought a copy of it, but thank <laughs> you. Uh, now, it's, I've, I've sold a few copies, but yeah, I wrote a book back in 2016 uh, called The Next Copernican Revolution, and in a nutshell, it's about the, the paradigm shift that we've gone through historically with when we re realize that the Earth is not the center of the universe, that the, the sun is, and you know the, the impacts that that's had in uh, how we see the world and how we had to evolve uh, with that new worldview. And so it basically talks about this new paradigm shift that we're embarking on now, uh, which is what I've put forth there is that the whole infinite growth paradigm, that it's completely unsustainable. Then once again, we're being forced to to reconsider our entire human operating system and evolve to a post-capitalist, post-monetary world. So, and I, you know, going back as far as probably 2009 is when I first came upon the uh, the Venus Project and and like the Zeitgeist movement with some of Peter Joseph's movies. And yeah, so I have a. I've struggled for years to wrap my head around that. And then once I did, it changed everything about how I see the world and how unsustainable it is. Yet on the other side, it could be, we could literally create a, a paradise on, on earth. That's that for, we also, Robert and I were co-founders of this uh, group called the World Summit. And basically it was about unifying all the different change organizations and, and movements and you know new, new paradigm groups 
to basically come together and unify around enacting these these changes and and go beyond our failed institutions our political systems and our outdated economic system to to help bring about this this new paradigm and so we had different people from you know these these different RBE uh, post-monetary groups and that went pretty well and we learned a lot of things from that and ultimately that sort of fizzled out you could say it's, we were ahead of our time or we just you know we couldn't command the resources or get the followers we had a couple of really good solid years where some really productive work was done and then it just sort of fizzled out as groups do and but we learned some things about that maybe we can talk about in this call today uh, that is sort of kind of front and center in my mind is that you know all these well-meaning groups uh you know anybody all these world-changing groups we end up uh competing against each other for attention for for fundraising we end up recreating the wheel again and again and again and all of these different groups we learned work in silos. They're sort of attached to their own projects and, and that's great and everybody's doing great work. Um, but if we're really going to achieve this critical mass that Robert can talk about a little later, uh, then we need to start unifying and coming together and figuring out a way to really uh, catalyze this, this, this cultural renaissance that we need. And so anyway, after that, then we created the most, our most recent program or group we were involved with with some guys out of Budapest called Envienta. And we teamed up to create a website called Hack Humanity that's based on creating hackathons and uh, sort of the same deal with that. We're, we're struggling there to keep things going. And most, most recently due to COVID, uh, Robert and I and uh, Hack Humanity group, and then even my son who is a filmmaker in Denver, uh, partnered briefly to make a series of short videos called The Great Pause that focuses on uh, COVID and, and, you know, the new paradigm that we are this close to creating if we choose to go that way versus going back to the old normal, which was totally abnormal. And so that's, that's just a little overview of some of the different groups uh, that Robert and I have been working in. He and I are kind of tag team on a lot of things because we just really uh, get some good synergy going by working together and, and speaking the same language. And so I'll, if it's okay, I'll turn it over to Robert. Thanks, Troy. Yeah, I think we, we met at the mini summit in 2018. And if you want to label uh, me as an activist, for instance, I think I, I started with that, that kind of uh, activities in 2011 and I, I started doing that because I was wondering I'm mainly an observer and I was wondering what we are doing here together with the current systems that this really cannot be sustainable for the long run and and I was asking myself okay if you want to do something different how would you do it I started studying alternative economic and social and governance models and after two years, I thought, well, let's see what we can do together. And I founded the group United Earth and started being an activist at the Zeitgeist Movement. And then later on in 2018, it evolved through Synergy Hub Network and the World Summit. And I think uh, 
what really for me the most interesting is the fact that we can lower the illusionary barriers in our minds is already a big step if we sort of take a look at the solutions we have and not focus on the, the root causes or the problems too much but they are very important and we can talk about that probably later so I've had a career as a project coordinator in utility, very dry stuff, coordinating uh, technical installations. When I met Troy, I think he was one of the first dreamers that are very grounded and, and really make it possible for people to not only come together, but also create the synergy, yeah, flow into this ever-evolving process. And that makes it so interesting, and, and that's what I love to do as a, a, a change maker or a, a transition engineer, whatever you want to call it. Well, it's like the, uh, the Copernican revolution, you know, it's, it's, it's moving away from seeing the sun as the center of the universe. And we need to move away from seeing the individual as the center of the universe and to extrapolate further on that, you know, to see isolated problems instead of being able to see them as a full cosmology, you know, all of these activist groups are fighting for their aim or you know, progressive movements are fighting for one tangible thing. They say, we'll get this and then we'll get this and then we'll get this, which all of these attitudes just totally forego and un misunderstand the core principle of reality, that it's all connected, that it's all uh, works together. And that's the only way that we can really move forward is if we move out, we completely change, not just, you know, one aspect of this or our energy system or our health system or or even our economic system. I mean, that is really just kind of the materialization of our worldview, of our values, that really more than anything, we need to change our entire way of seeing the world and the reality. Away from isolation, atomization, you know, being cut off, being isolated, and more into a more holistic, connected uh, togetherness. Just some random thoughts I thought I would try to um, combine into, into one, one big picture. I wanted to latch on to what Robert said about being a transition engineer. That's the first time I've heard that term. I love it. And I hope you don't mind if I steal be it and use guest. it over and over. Uh, I think that's what we should all be viewing ourselves at as. Thank you. Anyone who's um, you know dove into this deep end with, um, with the way the world is today post-pandemic and, and is striving to make change, we are transition engineers on some level. Level. And then Troy um, mentioning um, how how we tend to keep regenerating the same animal, the, the same machine, how we're all striving for the same goal. I remember uh, bringing that up myself in our RJing episode, I believe it's called um, Structure of Destruction, right, Zach? Um, and how we, we discussed there about how there are so many different factions um, and groups striving for systems change, but it's kind of like the the, the denominations of, of the Christian religion. Everybody wants to get to heaven, but they all have their own way, and that's the only way they think it can achieve, be achieved. So so it's, it's more important than ever, I think, to focus on solidarity. Uh, but having said all of that, something else you said, Robert, um, you said that Troy is a grounded dreamer, something else <laughs> I've never heard. That is definitely a contradiction in terms. Um, and it, and it, re it reminds me of a brief conversation Troy and I had before the show where he commented on how professional we handle things on the back end. And, uh, and, and it, it sparked uh, basically a realized 
and I don't know why it wasn't more obvious before then, but it's so hard to achieve these goals, obviously, because we're working within the monetary system and it's because we have to uphold industry standards. And at the same time, we want to be empathetic, tolerant, patient, understanding. You know, this isn't just a Hollywood production. This is a space for people to come together and talk about their projects, offer ideas, let us offer up theirs and truly collaborate and move forward together. That's the key is moving forward together. But it, it, it it's really, it's really hard to put all those pieces together and make them fit together when you're trying to do things the way the monetary system demands they be done. Um, something I find interesting too, and, and one of the things I really liked about your book, uh, Troy, The Copernican Revolution, was that you go into spiral dynamics. Uh, and I kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit in the show too, because I'm sure a lot of our readers, um, or I mean, sorry, listeners, uh, some of them might be familiar with it, but I'm sure there's a lot of them that aren't too. And it's a really interesting concept to me. I know a little bit about it, uh, but it's it also kind of speaks to unification, right? And also like a pr- progressive... I, I, I don't even know exactly what to call it because, you know, the, the terms are escaping me at the moment. But can you can you elaborate a little bit on spiral dynamics and how it kind of applies to our work? So, and it sort of comes back to what Zach was talking about, uh, that we need to start taking a, a whole systems view and uh, what you may call holistic or integral or integrated framework or perspective on things. So there's, there's what's called spiral dynamics that sort of goes, that's a model developed by a, a guy called uh, Claire Graves back in the 50s or so. And that's a developmental model that basically, basically describes how both uh, individuals as well as whole cultures and societies uh, develop through different levels of consciousness or uh, you can call them uh, value perspectives, what they value. And so, yeah, in a nutshell, we've evolved from an archaic worldview to a warrior worldview, then to then to a, a traditional worldview, then a modernistic worldview, then a postmodern worldview, and then now an integral or integrated worldview, uh, and then even potentially beyond that, which I call in my book a neo-tribal uh, worldview that harkens back to some of the tribal ways and now we can bring forth that world some of the values of that worldview but do so in alignment with our high technology etc and then so i also talk about integral philosophy in there which is just a, a, a holistic way of looking at all of the you know everything all of our world's uh problems or you know and you know seeing that there's both in individual and collective perspective. There's also both an internal and an external perspective. And so it's a four quadrant model and we're being incomplete if we don't sort of look at all of the world's uh, issues through all four of those different lenses. And there's more on that if you look into uh, some of the luminaries like Ken Wilber, Don Beck, uh, et cetera. I like that term, uh, a tribalization. It, it harkens to uh, Terence McKenna's term, which is uh, archaic revival, which is uh, the way that I, I'm thinking about it in this moment is we actually have the technology and the power and the social ability and the insight and the true scientific sociological understanding of human nature, basically to realize what is intuitive, what is not intuitive, and use all of our uh, powers today to basically make, make being human easier. To allow us to truly be ourselves, you know, not to uh, 
branch off from our human humanness altogether in this kind of weird transhuman, although I'm not totally against, you know, continual adaptation and evolving in that way, but, but to become not human. I mean, that's what our technology and our worlds and our environments are basically doing to us. They're even the way we're, we live, the way we sit, the way we stand. I mean, we, 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 there's so much we don't understand about ourselves, our bodies, our biological nature. I actually just the other day, I, I kind of had this epiphany that, you know, that people in, in, the, in the attempt to find the perfect term for what is our way of thinking, is it structural, is it integrated, is it systems thinking? And I think really the best term, the most irreducible motif is environmental, that we, are, we need to think environmentally. And I think because it encompasses everything, it encompasses the fact that we are products of our environment, that we are conditional, uh, conditioned, uh, totally social beings that are interdependent on everything else around us, that we are not uh, isolated, individualistic people. You know, we are products of our environment. We are our environment. And I think the sort of the, the archaic revival, tribalization, which I think a lot of people might be afraid of that. They're like, oh, we don't want to go backwards. We don't want to go back. But it's like the, you know, the fundamental reality of being human back in, you know, egalitarian societies, hunter-gatherer societies, in many ways, I mean, even you go back to the medieval, the Middle Ages, the medieval peasant worked less than we do. You know, they worked about, you know, 20, 30 hours a week. You, you, the, uh, the constraints of modern life are not good for us. And we can really truly use our technology and all of our means and science and understanding. And if we come together, you know, that's the, that's the caveat to all of it, to really um, bring us back to that place of just being human. Yeah, that's great. And, and my book also, uh, in Spiral Dynamics, talks also to what you were mentioning, Zach, about the, this focus on the individualism now. And in the book, I talk about, and uh, I reference a lot of like over 100 citations from different anthropologists, et cetera. And, you know, and even Howard Zinn talks about how our, you know, our understanding of Native Americans in particular, but indigenous cultures in general, is just very flawed. Uh, and, you know, there's people going to the extreme on the other uh, dimension. They call it, you know, they're idolizing uh, ancient cultures and call it the, the noble savage. And that's not exactly accurate either. But uh, we know through a lot of anthropological studies that, yeah, like you said, the indigenous tribal societies were very egalitarian. They were very healthy. Uh, they did not work. Uh, they were not, the, you know, living short brutish lives and dying at a at a young age. That's all sort of mythical and, and not. And but the other aspect, the healthy tribal cultures exhibited, with, which is what is what I call collective individualism or community individualism, whatever. So it's a balance. And in, in many of these, uh, like particularly the uh, uh, Adirondack Indians, or I forget one of the Native American Indian tribes, uh, they had a very healthy collective individual. So it wasn't this oppressive group control structure, you know, it, they actually respected and incurred individuality within that. So this whole geo or neo-tribal thing that I point to actually respects that and allows for that. It respects and allows for diversity. We want diversity. Mother nature and evolution favors diversity, but let's also have a, a collective cohesiveness as Matt talked about. That's sort of an overriding, uh, you know, we take care of the tribe and now the tribe is all of humanity, right? But so spiral dynamics, 
talks about going as we've evolved through these different levels from archaic to tribal to warrior, uh, then to, to traditional, then to modern, postmodern, and integral. And it, it's actually a, an all uh, they're oscillating back and forth between uh, a community orientation or collective orientation and an individualistic orientation. And we know we, where we are now, at least in the United States, we're ex hyper individualistic. And so we need to come into a more of a community individualism. Right. That makes sense, too. And and you can kind of see that dynamic right now with all the, uh, you know, kind of uh, conflict that's going between the essentially the left who are trying to, to go more of the community aspect with government and whatnot, I believe, and the right who are who are kind of, uh, you know, promoting more of the individualistic, uh, in a sense, you know, capitalistic uh, mindset as well. Um, so it's, in, it's interesting to watch those dynamics play out, uh, and kind of, and also kind of have a path, like according to spiral dynamics to see where it might go, uh, and, and kind of is expected to go in the future. And, and one of the things I kind of like about it too, is it's not essentially like the United States as a whole. It's, it's essentially like Zach was saying, our environment, you know, we can create an environment that's conducive, uh, to those, you know, more, I don't want to say more evolved states, essentially, but as as time goes on and we become, you know, aware of different uh, circumstances and situations, uh, and and the need for those actions, that's that's kind of what pushes the situation along. I think a lot of the time, you know, um, so it's just kind of it's, it's. I find I find it really interesting and really helpful, you know, to look at spiral dynamics in the long term of things and just to kind of use it almost as a map, essentially, as a kind of a guide to where, uh, you know, a lot of us can, can begin to take action. Back to the, uh, the four quadrant model of integral philosophy, the lower right quadrant is the external and the collective. So that's pointing to our systems, right? Our, our, the systems that we've created, uh, that we've actually created a monster and now our, our unhealthy systems, both governmental and economic, bring out the worst uh, qualities of humanity, right? So people are always talking about oh, human nature, we're inherently violent and greedy and all that bullshit. It's our systems that are, and all the perverse incentives that bring out the worst of our of our qualities. So that's where where you guys come in and where we come in, where we start really addressing the, the root cause issues. I actually want to read a, a little text thread I had with my dad the other day that was about that exactly. It was, I was just talking about just some horrible things that were going on in the world and just trying to help him understand things on a deeper level. And um, he said, I, I wish that God had made better humans. And I said, the humans aren't the problem. It's the social system that makes even good humans bad. It's the design of society, not the design of us. It's not about replicating bad people or replacing bad people with good ones. We're all good and we're all bad. We're environmental. So we must change the environment to make good people its intended natural outcome. Whereas today we incentivize and reward all the most antisocial, ecocidal behavior. To that he said, humans created the system. And I said, reactions to scarcity and external environmental changes created the feedback loop of reactions that led to the system. But basically today we don't live in scarcity. We don't live under the conditions that we did thousands of years ago. You know, that, that, that pushed us to create these systems and walled cities and all this stuff. We have the technology and the knowledge to break that cycle forever and to leave all of this behind and really truly create something new. 
I, I just wanted to reflect a little bit because you guys are talking about great stuff and and Zach mentioned I think he said we hardly understand ourselves and uh, coming back uh, also Matthew and uh, Amanda to the spiral dynamics that's that's one layout right it's one way of visualizing things I think that's one of the main uh, interests from my part and also World Summit to make these these processes visible because that will help us support us in lowering these illusionary barriers and after uh, getting to know spiral dynamics that's the first time in my life i understood why so many people are, can think so differently because everybody is at another level and they can also during their lifetime they we switch constantly and that's this is also where it becomes so fuzzy and unclear for us and things that we don't understand we tend to shut down for them subconsciously so i think that that's really uh one of the beautiful things and it also goes for a lot of them but even though uh it's it's true we've been struggling with this for thousands of years right all the dogmas that we experience the religions uh matthew you just mentioned the the, the polarization there's always two parties that are against each other right uh, whether it's now the, the the vaccine people against the non-vaccine people and we're not i'm not really taking a stand on it but i do believe that uh, the root causes are very much overlooked and uh, we, we are doing a lot of uh, fighting symptoms we're fighting symptoms and we rarely question the the, the current systems that brings it back to the root causes. Even if everybody gets vaccinated, right, then that's just going to allow us to go back to the old normal, uh, business as usual, without really addressing the, the deeper uh, thing, which is our whole socioeconomic paradigm, right? If right now governments could give everybody a universal basic income tomorrow, everybody could stay home, uh, it wouldn't be considered a lockdown. It would be considered a, you know, a, a smart and logical thing to do to stop the spread of COVID, right? Nobody's even thinking about that. Consider it a Consider vacation. It a break, a exactly. timeout. I mean, yeah. I think it's crazy that that so many people, you know, are so hung up on the vaccine things like and things like that. And the reason that the vaccine was pushed so hard. You know, as like the only solution that like it shouldn't have gotten to this point where people think that th that that's the only solution and it's still not working. I mean, we look at the I looked at a map of today of, of COVID spreading in America and it's like it's all red. You know, it's like it's all high concentrations of this virus spreading still because even with the vaccine, new variants are forming. We can't just sit down and shut up, which was nature basically saying, OK, I'm going to give you a reason that you all need to stop and think about what you're doing human humanity you're in timeout <laughs> you have you have been very naughty and you are in timeout and you need to sit down and think about what you've done and we didn't do that we're just like no no, no we're gonna get the vaccine we're gonna vaccinate people we're gonna keep going and it's just an insane thing that, that you know like there were multiple countries all over the world that they didn't need you know like new zealand was back to school a few months a few months in they were you know in taiwan they had baseball games i mean it was like the, there are solutions to this problem but it's but not if if you know capital expansion consumption endless growth for no reason at the direct expense of human life i just don't understand how anybody at this point cannot look at the world around us and see 
that COVID has obviated every single problem in our system, that this system is anti-life. This system is against human life and it thrives on the destruction of life. That, that the corporations have made more money off this crisis that has killed more people in America alone than both world wars than ever in history. They're doing great. And they still have this narrative like, oh, we need to buckle down. We need more, we need more. It's just, right. they can't even, they just can't stop. It's an addiction. So, so, the, so, so the, the challenge that humanity has gone through now is that we are not learning our lessons. And a year ago, or when, when in March of when- Over a year. Yeah, we, we created this uh, video series called The Great Pause, which is about that very thing. Hey, let's take this as an opportunity, this great pause. You know, we see wildlife coming back uh, on the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, we see coyotes there. We, you know, you can actually hear the birds chirp in downtown New York City, you know. And the, the skies were clear and no jet plane exhaust. And, it, you know, it was an amazing time for us to reflect. And we, did, we, we missed that opportunity. So now we're being faced with this opportunity once again with the Delta variation of COVID. Robert, that's what comes back to what you were saying. We are not learning and it, things have to get worse before they get better, before we the, the alcoholic hit, you know, hits bottom and then it's forced to change. Yeah, as an observer, I can see that um, the longer we will wait, getting to these root causes, solving these problems, and that's systemic also, but there's more. The longer we wait, the deeper the impact will be. And apparently we need these shocks. So it seems, that's what, what I'm observing. We need this shock therapy. You know, we had these floodings in Europe very recently, like a few weeks ago. And basically when literally the water pours down into your basement or to your first floor ceiling, then people start waking up and they start asking questions. How is this possible? What's happening? I can see a positive note because the longer, of course, we want to solve our problems, but the longer we stall them or wait uh, with really coming uh, to the right solutions, whatever you feel is right, the impact will be deeper and more profound. So who's to say what is the best way, right? There's an aspect of that that I address in my book as well about the acceleration of change. And it may seem like, God, it's taken us decades and we're not doing, you know, we haven't even talked about climate change yet, right? That's a whole other thing, right? And and nobody's talking about, a, you, you know, addressing the economic system as a driver of climate change. Uh, and no one's questioning the infinite growth paradigm on a planet of finite resources. So we're not even there yet. But the point that I'm making is if, if it may seem like it's taken us decades to even start addressing climate change or or you know, switch our systems to, to deal with COVID. Uh, it's actually happening very, very rapidly. In my book, I document how these, these uh, major shifts in uh, consciousness and our worldviews based on spiral dynamics happened at a, at a faster and faster pace. So, you know, it would take, take us 50,000 years to change from, you know, uh, maybe warrior, uh, tribal to warrior, then another you know thousand years, five thousand years to change from uh, the warrior to traditional uh, worldview, and then thousand years to go from traditional to modern, five hundred years to go from modern to postmodern, 
and et cetera, et cetera. So that's an exponential curve in terms of accelerating timeline, right? So potentially as things get worse and worse, things will ultimately, you know, we're gonna get to the singular timeline where things have to change rapidly because you can't keep going on in that, that, that pace without something. So potentially a major paradigm shift could happen very soon. It's hard to imagine that it could get much worse before we take action and heed the things that are right in front of our faces. You know, with the pandemic and post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, whatever we are at this point, the dogmas and the mechanisms of the monetary system, particularly the capitalist system, have never been as exposed as they are now. The curtains have been drawn. The, the puppet masters are, are in plain sight. So, yeah, it's hard for me to wrap my head around how much worse it could possibly get. Knock on wood, I'm not trying to, to <laughs> manifest anything, but... Um, but, but before before we all just go, hey, maybe we should not do these things that we can clearly see are causing the problem. I think um, something that's worth noting, and, and maybe it's obvious to some, but I feel like it's not for most, is that not only is systems change um, vital at this point, but uh, so is so is the knowledge of systems design. Whether or not the capitalist system was all that intentional, some some people argue that it wasn't intentional. If it was, then you know it, obviously we would all be better off today. Or or if it was intentionally insidious. But systems design is is also where we should be putting a lot of our focus right now because obviously, as Zach was saying, as I often say, we are part of our environment. Jacques Fresco, Venus Project. Everybody look into it if you haven't already. Um, and we produce the feedback loops that reinforce the environment. As Matthew was trying to say earlier, the, the closer we get to climate disaster or the closer we get to, you know, uh, uh, drawing back from the edge and, and, and starting to heal and, 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 and redesign society, whatever we approach, that's just that's we're, we're going to cascade whatever we're approaching, if that makes any sense. We're just going to uh, basically self-propel ourselves. The trajectory is going to continue the way it's going unless we, you know, divert. And and how do we do it as at one as, as collectively as possible is the question, really. I mean, it's a wheel going down a hill. I mean, and I think it's crazy to me. So many people just don't see that, that they're still surprised when things get worse. They're still surprised by things getting out of control. I mean, it, it's a predictable response to a set of circumstances that has been hollowing out, you know, reality and life as we know it, our planet, our stability, all of our social systems, every single aspect of, I'm sorry, there's like so much construction outside my window. It's, it's, it's killing me. It's, it's fucking killing sorry. me. Can y'all hear sorry. that? Yeah, we hear it. It's okay, Zach. No big deal. Keep going, man. This is this is like this is like the drill in my here in my head, like when I read through the news, you know, or like when I see people not be able to make these connections, these broader connections to understand why things are the way they are. I think people are so disconnected that, or they're so reactive, and I think that is that is the design of capitalism. It's like uh, the English language. It's like a it's like a kind of a mishmash of words from all over that was created to facilitate business and trade between all kinds of different cultures. A, a word there. A word there, a word there. You know, it's like capitalism itself, you know, even though the fundamental mechanics of trade and, you know, self-interest and, you know, uh, a ruler and an, and a uh, worker have has existed for thousands of years. I mean, it's kind of the foundationing, foundational sort of uh, civilizational principle. Uh, capitalism itself is only a few hundred years old. And really what it is when I read about Adam Smith and all this stuff, it's really a justification, a rationalization for what people were already doing anyway, which is basically the whole thing is based on 
oh, if we act in self-interest, this magical hand of the market is going to regulate that. So it's 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 not like, oh, we we have this utopian visionary design. It's like, oh, if we keep doing what we're doing, eventually it will lead to a utopia. So it's totally not it's not intentional. And it's it's sad that that so many people are locked into that paradigm of of seeing you know, the conspiracy and everything. Oh, COVID is clearly a conspiracy because, oh, look, they're profiting off of this so much, but it's an automatic reaction. It's an automatic reaction of this system, which is fundamentally reactive. It comes from the scarcity mentality of, I got to take more. I need this. I got to compete because it's like, it's like a rat in a cage. That's the ethos of capitalism is a rat in a cage who, even if the belly is full, they're going to hoard more. So yeah, things are going to get a lot worse. Sadly, <laughs> They're going to get a lot worse and they're going to have to until we literally have no other option but to change. Well, I, th I think what a lot of people uh, don't really understand too are the feedback loops that are at play, essentially with a lot of the dynamics that are going on in our environment and in our economy and society and whatnot, especially in our environment though, uh, because what happens in our environment and the world affects our economy and and our society and whatnot. You know, I mean, look at the uh, situation with Syria and all the people that were displaced uh, from the drought in the Middle East, you know, climate change is essentially already starting to disrupt our our way of life, uh, and and you know bring climate refugees, people that can't uh, you know subsist on land in places anymore because of droughts or fires or uh, floods and and whatnot. And this is going to become a more uh, you know a more and more frequent thing as years go on. There's going to be more and more people that are displaced by these things, and they'll pro and, and the results will probably be not what we're expecting sometimes too. Like like look at this uh, town. I've, I've talked about it several times now. That just was literally burnt off the map in Canada, you know, not too long ago. I think it was Lighton, uh, Lighton, British Columbia. You know, I mean, who expected to there to be 120 degree temperatures in Canada? And then there's like an entire town practically go up like a tinderbox, you know, and now and now we've got these things that are going up with methane being released, uh, you know, in the Siberian Arctic, and they're looking into uh, rock, uh, granite rock actually releases a lot more methane too, and it thaws and that's happening with miles and miles of these rock formations, I guess they're up there. I read that in an article the other day, it's a different type of methane, like it's released from cracks and fissures when the rocks start to thaw methane that's essentially below you know in pockets and natural gas that's just below rock formations deep within the earth and there's no telling how much is down there you know but when the when ground and rock and mountains and things like that start to thaw you know that all of a sudden you have these cracks and fissures opening in methane which is far more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide is, is getting released in massive amounts and this is causing more things to melt this is causing more sea ice to melt which in turn you know uh reflects less sun back into the atmosphere you know back into outer space and these feedback loops keep going right and so i mean if we think to this year was hot in 2021 relatively speaking compared to the rest of the 21st century this year will be relatively cool right 50 50 years from now this is this is going to be a cool year we'll be wishing that it was that it, we had these temperatures again especially if we keep going you know at the breakneck speed we are with all the uh you know 
emissions that we're releasing and whatnot if we don't really do something to curtail it so i mean i i fear that we've gone too far already i i i, I am almost afraid like we, we we're starting to see scientific reports of people coming out and saying well i mean actual you know they're giving scientists are, are seriously considering what parts of the world will be best to inhabit if society is to collapse right that was a report that just came out the other day people are saying well i think new zealand would probably be pretty safe <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that was a business insider article yeah. and i think it was published just two days ago and i mean of course i wasn't surprised to not see america anywhere on the list of where you should be in fact in the actual analysis that was uh published in the sustainability journal america is one of the the least safest most secure sustainable places that one should end up at uh, if, if societal collapse should happen um but i'm so glad that you spoke about the ecological uh feedback loop and how they are initiated by our economical feedback loops and and just um, our inherent activities of our economic system, uh, especially in the capitalist system. That's something also that needs equal attention. They play on each other too. Our economic feedback loops have released ecological feedback loops that will further exasperate our economic woes and other feedback loops that we're experiencing in other parts of the economy. And, and this whole thing is just a, a, and just it just a giant speaks mess. volumes more to the <laughs> fact that systems design is is really the starting point of systems change, obviously, because if we don't move away from the uh, for-profit system design, then we're just going to perpetuate the problem. We're just going to, as Troy said earlier, recreate the animal, just, just reproduce the same machine. Uh, so, so yeah, g great points. I'm so glad you went into so, that. Yeah, what, so, yeah, what, what we're all talking about here is systems theory, you know, uh, an understanding of whole systems design, uh, feedback loops, all that stuff. And I just want to point out that that's a relatively new capacity for humanity. You know, we're, we are not accustomed, at, generally speaking, to really fully understand and talk about systems in a holistic way. And so the, the society breaking down all around us is actually what's going to you know accelerate our our understanding of and and adoption of systems uh, thinking, and you see it happening now. I mean, we can talk about climate change reports till the sun comes home, but you know until people actually experience it, they're they're not going to get it. And so that's what we're seeing now with climate change, uh, with with uh, COVID. All of a sudden, right in the southern states. Everybody's, you know, anti-vax and, you know, conspiracy theories about the vaccines. And but when people start dying all around them, like Louisiana is out of control right now. And it's the worst vaccinated vaccinated state as a percentage. Uh, all of a sudden now in these southern states, they're lining up and spending hours in line to get vaccinated now. You know, so that's sort of the the. Uh, evolutionary impetus, right? Sometimes it has to come down to our own survival before we start taking action. And that's, that's when, you know, that's the alcoholic hitting bottom before he changes, you know, and sometimes that's a, uh, it's unfortunate that we have to go through pain and suffering. I'm a fan of a uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard, who always used to talk about conscious evolution, that we can start affecting our own evolution and avoid, avoiding some of this pain and suffering. But uh, I don't know, we, we have a hard time with that. And 
I don't know. Personally, when I witnessed the videos that have went viral recently um, of, of, of the people dying in flooded subways, like that was all the consciousness I needed to, about it, you know, so to speak. Um, uh, and, and how many more times are we going to witness something like that before saying, hey, you know, like we need to go in, the diff in a different direction. We need to go far left <laughs> instead of adapting or stagnant. It's the definition of insanity. You guys know Einstein's quote. <laughs> Indeed it is. Yeah. Stagnant is maybe, I want to take a look at it if, if you guys are okay with it, because there's a lot of positivity here also, right? I mean, uh, the, a lot of undercurrents are already moving, but they're not really visible. And since COVID uh, began, you know, thousands of groups have been clustering and coming together because they, we all feel the momentum, right? You see um, different momentums, they are sinking now, sinking, getting in sync. And I think, uh, and we talked about it in the beginning, we only need a critical mass of five to 10% that starts shifting and the rest will automatically follow. So I do see a huge potential there. If this energy, if we reach this this energy f being freed up, we talked about feedback loops, right? The negative ones, but we also have positive feedback loops. The current systems we have, they are outdated, right? The governance system and the economic systems, they don't have feedback loops, they're static. But the, we, we have new systems already, a lot of new models that give these positive feedback loops so we can monitor when something is happening in this sector, it has an effect on another sector. And then we can sort of adapt to the situation. And that's where a lot of groups, millions of these organizations, like you guys also, they're already working on it for years now. And I'd like to add uh, to that, that you know we're talking a lot about the systems here. And indeed our systems need to change. But to go back to the, four quadrants and, and to not be incomplete, we need to also look at the interiors, the our consciousness, our worldviews. A good model that we found uh, very useful in explaining all this was developed by Joanna Macy, who is a, a Buddhist scholar, and she came up with something called the three pillars of activism. And we've done some videos and slide decks about that. Uh, you can go to hackhumanity.net, and we have uh, slide decks on there that you can check out. And But if her three pillars were brilliantly sum up, uh, and, and uh, briefly, I'll, I'll give you those. You basically have the, uh, the shift in consciousness pillar, you have holding actions pillar, and then you have the new systems pillar. And so her... her uh, the point she's making is that we need to be active in all three of these pillars to bring about revolutionary change. And what happens too often is activists get stuck focusing on just one pillar. Like there's a lot of activists in various communities, maybe new age communities, maybe consciousness communities that, that put consciousness as primary and everything is about, we've got to change our consciousness first Otherwise, none of this other stuff will come up, come about. None of the systems change. Then there's other advocates and activists who focus strictly on the systems and leave out the consciousness. And then there's the holding actions pillar, which is about 
you know, the, the people, you know, putting their bodies in, in front of old growth forest and stopping the bulldozers from tearing down the trees and, or, the, you know, maybe Black Lives Matter activists or whatever. You know, they're about saying a holy hell no to stop the destruction, to hold off the destruction that's happening. And so the point is we need activists in all three of these pillars, but we can't just work in silos. We can't just work in one pillar and not the others. And that's why the three pillars of activism is, is so great. And uh, so we, we kind of put some ideas out there and transition tactics uh, that shows how we can be active and effective in all three of those pillars, but working under a cohesive whole to bring about transformative change. So I spent a lot of time working with Extinction Rebellion, and I was actually reading about this and you know talking to some people about it before this show. Um, and I went through a very difficult falling out with that group because right around the time of uh, the, the fires in California and the skies were turning red and everything was so apocalyptic and insane and you know Trump, COVID, election, <laughs> Black Lives Matter was going on. And I was really fighting in the, this organization, this group, to change our tactics because they were spending all this energy and effort to organize this protest uh, about you know oil wells in at Los Angeles, which is a you know a good thing to raise awareness about. But I just kept saying again and again, this is a powerful moment where so many people are coming out, and you are making no attempt to one align with this this uh, other issue or gain uh, the, you know, kind of tap this critical mass that's going on around us and help divert it to that and help show people, look, climate is a race issue. Climate is a labor issue. Climate is, is it's going to affect all marginalized people more than anything. It's the er issue. And it's the issue we should all collect our efforts into because the only way to change climate change, the only way to tackle climate change, nobody can really, I mean, there's flimsy arguments that you can make energy shifts and blah, blah, blah. No, we just need $300 billion to blah, blah, make these changes to infrastructure and or electric cars, all this. That's all horseshit. Really, if you are a serious scientist and you look at this issue, or even if you're just a serious human being asking the right questions, the only way to tackle climate change is a full systems change, a complete inversion of everything that we're doing, the exploitation, the extraction, the wasteful consumerism, globalization, all of these things. The, the entire matrix of our economic system that guides and dictates every single aspect of our life, the only thing we can do is to change our system. And I couldn't get that through to these people in, in this group, to these activists, to these people who cared very much, who were very educated, who were very aware, but they were very unserious in their ability to change their tactics and understand that this is an intersectional issue, that the best way for us to organize is an intersectional way and is to hit all of these points, not just our one point. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Uh, but I, I also want to kind of uh, kind of use that as a segue because what, what we were doing, our intentions were like artful protests, you know, creating these uh, images and and scenes and, uh, you know, artistic visuals that arrest people, that pull people out of their sort of uh, dream. And we, you mentioned earlier that uh, you are focused on an artistic revolution. And I am more than anything an artist. And every act that I do, every, uh, you know, way that I think about the world is through the lens of art, that we are, uh, all of us, uh, artists, creators, we are creating life together. That's the other aspect of evolution, that you know, species work together to create this beautiful tapestry of an ecosystem, that we are all creating our own reality. And revolutionary change, I think is, I was trying to explain this to a friend the other day, who's an artist and who is not involved and who just is just t neutral. And I was basically saying, this is the greatest 
opportunity for you as an artist, as a creative person, as an imaginative person, to actually create the world around you, to build the new world, all of us, like a work of art, trying to rally the radical movement of revolutionary artists, because uh, I just want to know, where do I, I join? I want to add something on that, too. It's, it's a really great point, because the other day somebody asked me, you know, um, like, don't you just get tired of, of, of all this bad news with climate change? Don't you get tired of trying? You know, don't you get tired of, of doing this work uh, that you're doing? And my answer was, no, never, absolutely not. And, and because, because it's a passion of mine and I view it as an opportunity to create, right? And to, to create a new beautiful world. And, and it's what keeps me going on a daily basis. And as an artist myself too, as a musician, I kind of shifted a lot of that passion from that into this as well. I've almost put music kind of on hold, you know, to, to a large extent in my life to kind of create, I don't want to say content, you know, but get the message out there about what we can do as far as the system and structural change and connecting with people and creating new relationships and new systems and new organizations and collaborating and everything else. And that to me is, is a beautiful art form as well. Uh, you know, just kind of waiting to be done. And <laughs> I don't even know where to go from just, there. I just got one, one more little point there that, that we're not just creating content, we're creating the future. We're redesigning the whole world. I mean, and how exciting is that? that I, I totally relate to that, that it, I have so much passion for this, that even like engaging with the bad news on a daily basis, it's like, it's not bad news, it's, it's catalyst, forcing change, like all of these bad things that happen. You know, so many people just shake their heads or they, they tune it out or they distract themselves, but really it's fuel. It's fuel for change and, and we are changing. We have to wake up and change, but that's, that's not just a daunting thing, that's like, if you can truly step into your creative potential as a human being and look at this as, wow, the system sucks, okay, but you know, things are bad, things are bleak, but we really have the opportunity, all of us, to just completely change it, to have our mark, to take our brush and paint the world whatever we want it to be. Everything that you and Matthew have just summed up could be dialed down to, to the motto of my extremely modest little art gallery online, which is, the world is your canvas, paint it with your vision. Uh, indeed, it is beyond exciting to know that, to, to realize that you do have the power, so to speak, at, at least the, the creative agency, to make the world the way it should be and, and the way you want it to be. If only we dial into what is rational and what will sustain us versus just cramming ourselves into the box that, that we're forced to be crammed into. Sorry for going on for such a long time to finally get back to you guys there. No, that's great. <laughs> go that's go ahead, give me your thoughts. Give us your thoughts as, as well on, 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 the, on that subject. Do you guys remember, I'm sure the, I'm looking for it here. I can't remember the full quote uh, at the beginning of Zeitgeist Moving Forward from uh, Ernst uh, Fischer. So in a decaying society, art, if it is truthful, must also reflect decay. And unless it wants to break faith with its social function, art must also show the world is changeable and help to change it. So that's, that's what we're all talking about here. I mean, uh, art has revolutionary potential. I've always believed that. And, you know, artists have always been at the forefront or the vanguard of revolutionary movements. And because it, it affects, it's, that's the, sh the shift in consciousness pillar. Art has such a transformative power to help shift, shift our consciousness uh, about what's possible. And so I have a, a company, it's not a plug, but I have a company called Art Evita and I partner with artists around the world. 
and we put their designs on different sustainable products. And a few years back, my company was actually the sole sponsor of the World Summit group. And I tried to get uh, create some kind of an artist collective back then uh, to bring about some more transformative change. And, you know, that, as I said, that that whole World Summit project went by the wayside and then evolved into some other things. And my company now is actually evolving into something new called uh, the Renaissance Engine.co. And uh, Matt and Amanda and I, when we talked a few weeks back, we're talking about, you know, how, how might we do something with, uh, with artists to really help the movement, the money of the society or the RBE movement. And there's some interesting ideas and thoughts, but with the Renaissance engine, I'm actually getting into more of a coaching and consulting role with artists and help them, you know, bring out their full potential, create some, uh, what I call a muse type of business that provides an autopilot cash flow type of situation, almost like a basic income for artists, so to speak. So it frees them up to do what they're really passionate about and not on me up. Yeah, and not worry about their uh, their basic needs, right? And I personally, I'll share, uh, my business took a major hit with, with COVID. And I've gotten, you know, the bailouts, the different uh, EIDL loans or the PPP loans here in America. And, and I've also gotten unemployment insurance for, that my own company has paid for. So I don't feel guilty about it at all. And... It's so I got firsthand taste of what a universal basic income can do to people and what it's done for me not to have to worry about my business going under or going back and getting a job at Home Depot or some shit. You know, it's it's freed me up to actually evolve into an entirely new model with my business and this new Renaissance engine. And so now I'm able to partner with artists in, in the real sense of the word partnership and so we're creating a, an artist collective. And we had talked with Amanda and Matt about perhaps we can do something like create an artist collective within the RBE, post-monetary, open access, moneyless society movements. And I mean, I have a term that I use in my websites called impact artists. I only want to work with artists that want to change the world. But what if we had, you know, something that's more about revolutionary artists that Amanda, I've seen her amazing artwork and, you know, she's infusing paradigm shifting uh, themes into her artwork. And, you know, Matt's built, uh, uh, what's the New World Clothing, uh, New World Apparel website that Matt's built. Yeah, we're still working on it. It's kind of a work in progress. Well, sure. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's, but, not, you know, it's not too much at this point. I don't, I don't really talk about it too very much we, yet. Sorry. We don't, we uh, that's fix, okay. No I don't want to promote it if it's not ready. But but the point is, he's, he's, he's putting T-shirts out there with, you know, yeah. you know, RBE type messages, new paradigm messages. And so what if we joined up with revolutionary or impact artists and put their designs on t-shirts as well as maybe some other functional art products. And so I don't know if I, I get a sense, uh, since I'm talking to two artists here on this podcast, Zach and Amanda, that are also in the RBE space, 
I, if I could just jump right in there on that. First of all, I want to back up a little bit and uh, speak to your first statements um, regarding how being able to help artists to meet their basic needs would free them up to uh, supply the world with paradigm shifting expressions. And that, that, that speaks to another one of my little mottos in my, in my little gallery is free your time, free your mind. Obviously, we would all be revolutionary artists to some degree if we weren't pinned down by the labor system that we have to adhere to in order to survive. But that's, that's, that's old tea. We already know that. Um, but, but yeah, it's definitely exciting um, to be having these conversations. And, and one would hope that through these conversations, an emergence of uh, radical artists, if you will, uh, you know, would appear. And, and I think that the reason why we don't have more than that right now, not to just always scapegoat the monetary system, but it is a cold, hard fact that if you're not a Thomas Kincaid type artist, it's very hard to get, to garner a following. And if you're, if you don't want to be a starving artist, you really have to go along with pop culture and trends and whatnot. So yes, creating a space for collaboration and, and radical revolutionary art, whatever you want to call it, is absolutely necessary right now more than ever. And I'm just so excited to have met someone else who thinks that and knows that. And I'd like to know what Robert thinks about all that as well. I see him smiling big. <laughs> yeah, great, great. Thanks. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'm not that dedicated to art as, as Troy is. I've been watching his growth process for the last half year or a year or so. And, uh, and that's really amazing to see that, you know, he's also trying to adapt, but also live his passion, right? Because that's very important. That gives you energy, it motivates you. And, uh, and th that's why you guys are probably doing what you're doing. And the toy is also, and if you, if you zoom in, I mean, art is is very important. If you zoom out a bit, uh, you know, we always talk about to make things visible in society. We talk about twelve sectors, and we use uh, Troy mentioned the three pillars, and we use the twelve sectors of society a lot from Barbara Marx Hubbard. So if you zoom out, you can see there is music and there is science, right? Uh, indigenous wisdom and learning and education and and you could basically see all these these uh, sectors which are connected but at the moment in our current systems they are still in silos so they're all equally important so i think uh, maybe that's something that we sort of forget in the process we focus on one sector and we're saying this this is you know our message which is great because everybody was doing uh, that great stuff in each sector is important but uh, yeah i can see that these feedback loops these connections weaved in in a, in a new model a new system that would be really fantastic <laughs> yeah y'all said there's two there's two artists here but I, i'm uh, I, I mean i'm i'm definitely in the starving artist camp as well i uh, i've been on unemployment for a while as well but I mean, I, I just I just realized for five for the last five years, I haven't had a, essentially a home or a, a consistent job or and I haven't courted work at all. I don't seek work. I just I just travel around and mostly live completely dependent on other people, <laughs> interdependent. And I love that. I think it's beautiful. I think it's how we all should live. I just I, I, it's been so long. I don't really think about it anymore. But I live to make art. I live to 
uh, gain insight into the human condition and the story of life and to see this whole work, this whole life as a, a work of art, as, you know, a story that is unfolding. And it's a very rich story when you think about it like that, when you shift your lens to think about art isn't just, uh, you know, something you do to pass the time or to, you know, beautify a space or distract yourself or entertain yourself. I mean, that's kind of grotesque and vulgar to me to think about art as entertainment, as this pure distraction from life that art, I think, is like the ultimate point of existence. I mean, I think it's why we're here to basically make physical these uh, philosophical questions and quandaries and to to qualify reality instead of quantifying it endlessly into a money sequence and, you know, making it uh, into something that can be profited off of. Art is the reason we live. Art is the reason that we fucking exist. I think it's everybody is an artist, really, or could be. And it's very sad that we live in a world where people don't think that they could be, that everything could be an art. I, I was saying this, posting this on the Moneyless Society page. Somebody was talking about automation and, oh, we'll still need people to be, to make clothing and things like that. And first of all, we don't. Um, but when we're freed from labor and we're able to do whatever we want, everyone will become an artisan, I believe, because we will all want to do something. You know, I have a friend who likes to crochet and to knit and she, she was, she was actually talking about, she was kind of scared of the automation thing. Cause it was like, it would put her trade, it would, it would, uh, you know, devalue her trade because only a human could do things like that. And I think about, you know, uh, these women in Guatemala that were uh, weaving these, these beautiful garments by hand and the human spirit can't help but create things. And that's really why we're here. And I think to, to view our struggle as a, an artistic creation, you know, not just like artists, you know, imbuing a revolutionary message into their work that makes it more palatable, that helps people understand things better. But it's like, it's changing our view to see this whole act of creating a new world as a collective human work of art, which is an interesting, you know, thing. I'm just kind of thinking about that myself, that we are building the world. We're creating the world like a, like a great novel like a great uh, movie, you know, that's my thing. I'm a filmmaker, I make movies and I've been making a movie out of this world, out of this life. And gradually, as I see more need, as my camera zooms in on the horrors of the world, the homelessness, the climate collapse, the disaffection of, of a majority that is suckered into a dreamlike, you know, haze of consumption and thoughtless life of, you know, a, a material culture that doesn't value any objects that it creates. And it's just, it's a crazy story that we're living in crazy times that are totally need to be talked about that it's like you turn on the TV and, and people are, you know, there's like workplace comedies. And it's like, we're living in a crazy time where billionaires are flying into space and the world is coming to an end. And, you know, it's like wars, you know, riots in the streets, everything is crazy. And it's like, we can't even really appreciate what a story it is because we don't have the perspective that art gives us. We can't zoom out. We're so zoomed in. We only see one little piece at a time. We can't see that it's a mosaic. Even in its dark moments, it's beautiful and intentional and meaningful that, that it is an ecosystem that's creating and learning itself. All of us are a part of creating that. And that's the revolution that needs to happen. We need to make everybody an artist for the revolution. But yeah, we do need to get artists to make revolutionary art. I'm sick of artists and filmmakers, especially. They're very shallow people making these works of art that are just that vain and uninteresting and you know they're not about anything real it's like stick your head out the window and see what see the need we'll, in the world we'll talk about and speak to that with your art and nfts i'll get your opinion on that later but <laughs> ridiculous yeah. absurd you already got my opinion on that <laughs> just to piggyback off of what you were saying there marlo um it really speaks to how 
everyone can be an artist and essentially is because as you said uh, humans have an innate drive to create and so I think that um, the term artist gets lost in uh, again pop culture and capitalist trends such as oil paintings you know pottery movie making things like that when at, at its core it's just ingenuity so so whatever you're out there creating whether um, you're you're coming up with uh, automated systems if you're coming up with automated systems you're an artist to a degree because you are creating something or you're you're using your inborn ingenuity to put something out into the world that's tangible that is going to produce an effect and, and essentially a feedback loop in the environment that you live in and that's essentially what art does but to step back just a little further I like what you said about interdependence that is a beautiful thing I'm sure that your life isn't a walk through the park sometimes because of your circumstances but it's the kind of but, thing but I've that slept needs in the be... park I, oh, oh episode two Echo Park right? it's a nap in a park no I've slept in many parks i really have i've slept in a lot of parks it's it's not that bad keep going Oh, I was just going to say, it's a beautiful point to bring up because if we're going to start with this revolutionary art venture, I think a great place to begin would be to start depicting what interdependence looks like because I, I'm pretty sure I can say with confidence that we've all forgotten that. Society as a whole is so individualistic that interdependence is extremely foreign. And, and obviously, uh, it, it, it always gets um, uh, bashed like uh, with points of morality or laziness or something like that, you know, and, and we really do need to, to, to get back to that interdependence uh, interdependence point that we've all forgotten. Well, we should also, I mean, we got to work together. We really do. We're in the same revolution. Absolutely. And uh, in, in the spirit of moving away from this, uh, you know, geocentric, uh, human-centric uh, Copernican model of the universe, we need to work together. We need to move uh, together and, and pra all, all practice will be preached. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of this show is forming these relationships with people that really grow after the uh, the microphones are turned off, that we keep building the change, that we keep uh, coming together and working together and um, really building this new human family, this new human collaborative venture. That's what it all comes down to, really, is, is, is collaboration. I mean, that's like the, I, I don't know, there's so many central points and, and pillars of the system and, and the rottenness that holds it together, but I really think that, that the ultimate uh, generative, creative uh, shift is to switch from competition we need to shift from individualization and competition that that results from that uh into you know a sense of collaboration and working together being able to access our human potential that is completely walled off not just by the paywalls of the monetary system but by our own inability to reach out to other people our pride that keeps us from you know wanting to help to work with others that keeps us from opening up and sharing and uh you know, realizing that we don't got this. We don't got this. I don't got this. We got this. I don't got this. Whoever you are, you know, you are better off working with other people. The more people you bring into your life, the better. That's exactly what uh, what I'm excited about, this artist collective that we're creating uh, with the Renaissance engine. And that's why the term Renaissance is so great, because it's about rebirth and, you know, basically creating a whole new a uh, whole new paradigm. And, but the artist collective is all about collaboration, not competition. And, but that flies in the face of our, of capitalism and our socioeconomic system. And it's all about competition. And as we all know, in this attention economy, uh, it's so hard to collaborate and 
get attention and get the resources you need to get recognized to really flip the paradigm. Uh, for example, I've already talked about some of the different projects we've been on, World Summit, Hack Humanity, uh, and we have another one we didn't even mention, and I'm not plugging all this stuff for, for our own sake. It's about make, making visible what's happening or not happening out there. We, uh, Robert and I uh, worked with some other RBE money-free folks uh, to create futurenowradio.com. That's a podcast that features a lot of, you know, new paradigm uh, thinkers, some very renowned thinkers. We featured Charles Eisenstein on there, and that brings to mind your, your talk, talking there, Zach, about mm. interbeingness and interdependence. And I love him. Yeah, and that's what he's all about. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So here's my greater point. Robert's continued on when I've had to, uh, I've done a couple of interviews uh, with Robert and some guests, and but I had to get back to my business. Robert's continued on. He's amassed, you know, if you go to futurenowradio.com, right, Robert? Yep. There's a whole bunch of great interviews in there that probably not very many people have listened to. I don't know how big your following is. I, I hope it's it's great because you guys have a great program. Uh, but the greater point is you didn't, I don't even think you guys knew about us and what we were doing. Yeah. And therefore you did your own thing. You created a podcast, which again, it's, I'm not knocking that. It's fantastic. But you're, we're sort of all recreating the wheel time and time again, because we're not even aware of what other groups and movements are doing. So that's the greater question. And you can thank the algo gods for that too, yeah. you know, if, especially if you're still isolated, like a lot of us are because of the pandemic, you're not out there in your community running into people that are thinking the same way you are doing the same things you're doing. You're just online. And it's very hard, as you said, to gain visibility as someone who is essentially a descent and as a group that are descents. We can't even get people in our in our Facebook group. That a lot a lot of the people in our Facebook group don't even know we have a show. <laughs> the epitome of frustration. I mean, the algorithm yeah. is doing us it's doing us zero favors. It's really not helping us at all, and it really all comes down to, you know, word of mouth and and like direct con uh, contact with people. Really like spreading these things like pamphlets on the streets, you know. So there's got to be some. And Roberts continued with these on so many other groups. I can't even keep track of it so he's seen firsthand he's been exposed to all these different world-changing groups out there they're doing amazing work but we're not we're not connected we're not interdependent and interbeing and working together and how the hell are we ever going to get, reach critical mass if, if we can't even organize ourselves in a great enough uh power to get discovered and, and all that so that's that's my huge questions over the day. <laughs> that is a great point. Maybe to add, uh, because you can see a lot of these clustering groups specifically are now focusing on this uh, sort of orientating this coordinating platform that seems to be missing to make all these energies visible. So that's really a good development going on. It's still, you know, there's a lot of work to do. But there are uh, already some very uh, big groups and they have very skilled professional people. They're working on this uh, eco synergy engine or whatever you want to call it and to see uh, how we can make this all visible. So 
That's good. That's hopeful. And my one little slice of that would be to create some artist collectives where we can do that with revolutionary, radical, impact artists, whatever you want to call them. Just really briefly, um, on that note, I want to uh, throw up, throw some homework out there as I do from time to time. I don't think I have in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and of course, I do this to encourage people to get outside of their box and think a little differently and see what happens, see you know, see how they feel and what realizations they have. And, uh, and I would love to see um, art from our listeners. You know, if, if you just want to just, here's my advice, just to make it clear and dry. Don't mow your yard this Saturday make something i don't care if you don't mow your yard maybe don't At scoop all. the lawns pool. are terrible lawns are a, a massacre <laughs> of biodiversity horrible I, I mean just skip something on your must-do list because i promise unless it's like getting a kidney transplant or something you'll be fine and and no, no, nobody's going to judge you for more than a day or two about it and if they do oh well and and just take a little time to make something i don't care if you haven't picked up a pencil since you know third grade or if you'd rather write something or if you'd rather you know take a photograph of something but it would be so awesome to see people stepping outside of the box if for 30 minutes if for an hour and seeing what they're drawn to and what they manifest out of that time that they devoted to just um, being in the present moment and trying to create something that isn't valued by the monetary system, something that just gave you fulfillment for a few minutes, whether it was noting uh, a riot going on in your town or if it was um, noticing how blue the sky is or you know noting how neighbors are getting along or not, whatever, just come create, make something and show it to us. I feel like the in this incredibly confusing, chaotic, crazy world of plagues, pandemics, pestilence, war, this apocalyptic paradigm that we live in, it's so hard to make sense of things if we have no inner metric of making media, uh, meaning. I read this uh, Viktor Frankl quote earlier. He basically said that life is only unbearable if we don't have a sense of meaning and purpose in it. And I think that has insulated me from all of this. I've seen so many people lose their minds through COVID, especially because and just the the horror of the world since 2016 really it was just like this this you know landfill fire of of bad news that that keeps coming and coming and coming and people don't see it as a continuum they don't see it as a as a predictable outcome of a system so it you'll go mad if you don't have a way to make sense of it and i think finding a medium that you can make uh, the disparate and crazy and hurtful information in your life, in your own personal life, your own hard feelings you can't deal with, and the externalities in the world around you that are unfathomable and unbearable, find an artwork and be able to, and, and it's liberating. It's the ultimate liberation to be able to take something bad and make it into something beautiful and meaningful. Hashtag transmutation. That's what we need to do on a mass level is to take every, all the bullshit, all the trash and monstrosity and the irreconcilable uh, suffering in this world that is caused so thoughtlessly and make it intentional, make it into a work of art. Like, uh, <laughs> like Bob Ross would say, you know, that's just a happy little accident, you know, take that brushstroke and make it into a little tree or, you know, take that wrong note and make it into jazz. Take the splatter of paint and make it into an expressionistic masterpiece. Because you know the alternative is it's just meaningless. It's meaningless and confusing and chaotic and crazy. But you know, there's a lot of beautiful dissonant art out there. There's a lot of art that is 
is like Guernica. It's a depiction of a horrible thing, but it illuminates it. It makes it greater than it was. And it's like better than just, you know, taking it and forgetting about it or distracting yourself. We can take all of this bad shit that's happening and make it intentional. Yeah, and that's that's beautiful. And the the other meaning in my mind about the term renaissance, it's not just rebirth, but it's a it's a rebeautifying to come back to the points you're we were talking about i i think in a new paradigm arts and and beauty and even truth are going to flourish i mean it's just going to be amazing what what's what we're going to unleash so it truly is a yeah a, a renaissance and if it's okay with you guys um, i guess amanda pointed out to me that i'm a member of the moneyless society facebook group so why can't i just post on there as a member put a poll on there and I want to see how many artists are in this group. And I want to know how many of them are consider themselves an impact artist or radical artists or new paradigm artists or revolutionary artists. And, and let's see what we can co-create as a collective. Uh, I'd like to ask Robert one last question. Uh, Robert, what is, what is a, a sort of a revolution in art or a beautification of this world? What does the Renaissance mean to you? kind of maybe as a, as a closing closing uh, diatribe? Well, I think it's very inspirational, right? That's what we're looking for, to inspire people. And, uh, and like I mentioned, I think art is a very important part of it. I would love to say, as uh, uh, if we're talking about the Renaissance, you know, I love zooming in and out, and maybe it's it's not only it's a request maybe for people to challenge their attachments, just challenge your abilities, and uh, and and open up for seeing that you can do great things for yourself for this world, and uh, from that perspective, I I really am fulfilled with a, a lot of uh, joy, inner joy, and uh, of course I can also understand that. Uh, People need some inspiration and hope, and, and they want to see solutions and embrace them. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. Robert, can you add one more closing sentiment about your Plato's cave analogy? Basically, you can see as an observer that we're uh, still in Plato's cave. He was a philosopher. The story is about people sitting in a dark cave and there's a fire behind them and they are chained to their chairs and their faces are also fixated. They only can watch the shadows. So all their life they've seen these moving shadows and they think this is the real world. They think the shadows are actually happening. And Plato tried to explain, wait a minute, there's something behind the fire that is causing these shadows, you know. If you walk out the cave, there's a beautiful world out there. But people uh, don't understand this concept. It's, it's too big to even comprehend. Because all they know are the shadows, these living figures on the wall, which they think is real life. And I still feel that a lot of people need guidance. We want to guide them out of this cave, right? There's more than these shadows. And, th and those are a lot of attachments that we have. And there's no one to blame for this. It's, it's something that we grew up with, how we see the world, how we came to understand it. So, so the monetary system is that shadow 
on the cave wall that we, yeah. you know that's that's the the next copernican revolution that we need to have to see that the whole fucking monetary system doesn't have to be that way i would dare say that the cave is the monetary environment and the shadows on the wall are the people who are orchestrating the mechanisms of it uh, i tend to think as uh well, and as a lot of us do politics is theater and when they take these month-long vacations they're just taking a hiatus yeah, and but even charles eisenstein talks plot, about how even like those people the elites but yeah the shadows on the wall happy, immediately you know, where my mind went were the just, uh, supposedly, know, get by supposedly the bipartisan uh they are they are products of the system too they're not in control of their own actions they're not in control of their own desire. That's really the ultimate shadow show. That's the ultimate uh, darkness that we all live in that Carl Jung talked about it as the shadow. It's a very primal uh, aspect or structural form of, of our unconscious that you know we are trapped in our shadow, which is a projection cast by the ego, which go, which comes between us and the true light. And we live in the shadow and we are angry and uh, insecure whenever we see glimpses of light on the other side of it. And we project all of our insecurities into this dark pooling shadow. And we become insane because of it, because the world that we see around us that is beautiful, that is uh, benevolent, that is, you know, the sun rises every day, you know, like, <laughs> damn it. I had this whole Shakespeare monologue uh, memorized about the, uh, this, this, this ball of fire in the sky. I'm not even gonna try it. All right, maybe I'll dub it, but <laughs> that we live in a beautiful world. And if you think that the world is, is, you know, a scary, monstrous place, and it can be, and we see expressions of that every day, that's what you're going to see, you know, because you're being puppeted. You're being puppeted by your own mind. And I think art is the, is the greatest show, you know, it's the greatest shadow show. It's the lie that tells the truth. It's the illusion breaker. We use illusions and we use uh, dreams to end dreams. And that is the place that we all find ourselves, that... We need to come together and tell a new story to get us through this long night. And I think the sun will rise on the other side of it. A lot of great stuff, Zach. And I, I kind of want to add, too, for anybody that might, you know, happen to be joining us, uh, kind of, you know, that doesn't really know too much about, uh, you know, like the Venus Project or Moneyless Society or a lot of things that we talk about here. I think something that Robert said is really relevant, and that's, uh, just be able to let go of your attachments, you know, and, and what you know, what, what you think you know about society and about the economy and about the way the world works. Just be able to step back from those assumptions and from those beliefs and ideas for a little while. And, and if you're interested in exploring some of these topics and these ideas, because there's a lot of stuff here. There is a lot of information. There's a lot to grasp, uh, you know, especially when it comes to, um, you know, like, all, just all the different aspects of how these types of systems and societies would work and the possibilities and things like that, uh, as well as the scientific evidence that supports a lot of this stuff, um, you know, as well as some of the, you know, just kind of the more sociological and psychological aspects and things like that, uh, you know. And there's a lot of different workings, a lot of different theories, a lot of different people and projects going on here. And so don't don't discount this stuff. Be able to step back from your attachments and just explore this with an open mind. And I think that's one of the most valuable insights and tools, uh, you know, that a lot of a lot of the people can have, especially that are coming to this, uh, you know, with, that, that are new to this idea, essentially, you know, that haven't that haven't explored this idea a lot. 
just really briefly, I know we've been trying to wrap up for like 10 minutes now, but I have to share a quick testimony, uh, piggybacking off of what you're saying there, because I know for me, like it would be for anyone, it's extremely hard to detach from your identity. That's where our attachments are centered. You know, that's where the core of our attachment is. So um, when trying to adopt uh, new ways of thinking, like the Venus Project puts out, uh, for instance, the easiest way to do that is to realize that your identity, quote unquote identity, is a result of of conditioning from your environment and the things that you associate yourself with and claim to be are no more than constructs that you have been taught by your culture to adapt to and practice they are not your identity they're not who you are and it will be okay if you try on a new one it, it'll be okay you can try new things you can learn new things and if nothing else if you want to even look at it this way it might even reinforce how you believe or feel about yourself even if you don't decide to adapt to a new way of thinking so uh, just just realize and remember that if you want to try and wrap your head around other things, that it's okay to do that and that it's totally possible. You just have to remember that your identity is rooted in your environment and you're limited by that unless you decide to step out of the box. I dig it. All right. Well, do you want to uh, wrap it up with anything? How do, how do we find you guys online? You can find it on hackhumanity.net and we have the futurenow.com so futurenowradio.com no i mean my books on kindle i guess self-published uh, on amazon so the next copernican revolution well thanks again for both of you guys for, for coming on we really appreciate the time it was a great conversation um we'd love to have you guys on again in the future and like zach was saying too you know um collaborate work with you guys in, in whatever capacity we can uh let's let's make it happen right yeah so Great. grateful for you guys. Good work you're doing with the podcast and the Moneyless Society. Paradoxically, when we begin to embrace the immensity of the global changes that all of us on the planet face, not just us as individuals, but as a species, and we seek something extraordinary like the transformation of the whole world, then our own stuff starts to seem trivial. Our own issues begin to fall away in importance. This does not discount any real or serious issues one may have, but when we seek the evolution of all of humanity, we evolve our own consciousness. Our own individual egos lose power over us and we discover our authentic selves, our true and good human nature, and begin acting powerfully in service to the whole of humanity. With this personal shift, we begin to move beyond our own sense of victimhood and powerlessness and cynicism despite being in a shitstorm of global problems that are seemingly too overwhelming for us to ever have any hope of solving. We become empowered individually and collectively to radically shift our paradigm of what's possible. We come to find that the solutions to solving our global problem can be the same solutions that can help us solve our individual problems. Troy Wiley, Copernican Revolution. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Moneyless Society podcast. Just a friendly reminder that we are a listener-supported project. You can show your support by visiting our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Moneyless Society. Aside from financial support, we need people. Moneyless Society is growing and more rapidly than ever. If you think you have the skill sets or just the passion and the time to devote to building new systems, systems that will save our world from its current destructive trajectory, then reach out to us at contact at moneylesssociety.com. We'll be glad you're here, because without everyone, we can't get there. Be well.